Well, it's good to see you this evening. We're turning back to John chapter 13, and we're going to read the same verses that we read this morning. Uh, Trusting the Lord will bless us, and that he'll help us to understand and learn from this uh, tremendous portion of God's word this evening. John chapter 13, we begin to read again at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. God always blesses the reading of his word, and we do pray that he will bless it again this evening to our hearts. Now, at the risk of being accused of uh, going into ancient history, I I want to tell you a little bit about my boyhood. When I was a little boy... um, uh, things were quite simple, I suppose, in life, much simpler, I think, than they are today. Um, we didn't have television. In fact, not too many people had television. It was a great day when an uncle and aunt of mine bought a black and white television. And on Saturday nights, I used to go up to their house uh, and I would watch Dixon of Doc Green uh, and various other bits and pieces There was Blue Peter, which we got to see occasionally. 
And of course, there was grandstand on a Saturday. Uh, these were exciting things, even in black and white. So we didn't have the sort of mod cons and this kind of thing that we have today, all the iPads and the, the media and all the rest of it. And we had to find other ways of, of uh, amusing ourselves. And uh, I used to get comics. Uh, I got the Dandy and the Beezer and the Wizard and the Rover and uh, the Eagle. And you know what was very special? We sometimes got American comics. And these were very special. In fact, there was a whole... I wouldn't say black market, but there was certainly a market in, in, in American comics. And as we boys, as young lads, even going to school, I would have called it a Smith, Smithfield market in Belfast to swap my American comics. And uh, they were super things like uh, Superman, Captain America, uh, Captain Marvel, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, all of these things. A lot of them wouldn't be allowed today because of political correctness and all the rest of it. But, you know, they were wonderful ways of amusing ourselves. And there's one special thing that we did. And it was that every now and again they produced a comic and they would give you with the comic 3D spectacles. Now, little cardboard things which you were supposed to put on and when you looked at the pictures on the page, well, what you discovered was that the pictures basically came to life. Now, I know that there are still 3D spectacles about today and 3D comics, much more sophisticated than they were in my day. Uh, but uh, that's what we did. And, and we had these 3D spectacles, and if you looked at these special comics with them, then it gave you another dimension to what you saw. Not just lines in a page, but it appeared as if they, the lines in a page they came to life we saw them in three dimensions. And I want you to keep that in mind as we begin to look at these verses here in John chapter 13. Because there's another dimension to what is happening here as Jesus washes the disciples' feet. What we saw this morning was his great love. That love which really we can't... Uh, measure. We can't even in our minds imagine the breadth and the depth and all the rest of it. But we, we recognize that this was the Lord, the Lord of glory, the Lord of creation, the Lord who upholds all things by the word of his power, desiring and initiating fellowship with those whom he loved. And we are confronted with this wonderful picture of the Lord of all, and John brings it to us again. You know, he talks here, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. We were reminded this morning, I think Len reminded us this morning, that Christ's death was no accident. Christ was in control. And he knew here exactly what lay before him. All things had been given into his hand. He was the Lord of all. The Lord of all. And what does he do? Knowing this, he rises from supper. He takes off his outer garments. He bends down at his disciples' feet. And he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. The most menial task given to the lowest slave. That's how we would describe it. It was the task that nobody wanted. It was the meanest, lowest task of servitude that anyone could undertake. And here we have the Lord of glory bowing 
to wash his disciples' feet. So what we have is the humiliation of Christ here, a picture of Christ's humiliation. But remember the 3D spectacles. We need to look through that. We need to look through that picture of Christ, as it were, bowing to wash the disciples' feet, the humiliation that was his in that action, to realize that what it was leading to was the utter humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ who had come as the suffering servant. He had come as the suffering servant of God his Father. And as he bowed here in humility at his disciples' feet, this was but a prelude to the Lord Jesus bowing to the Father's will and going to the cross. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Yours be done. So look at it through the 3D spectacles and see here that our Lord bowing at the feet of his disciples in humility is in fact just a picture. It is a prelude to what is going to happen as he pleases his Father God in taking the lowest place and dying for sinners. The humiliation of Christ. Paul talks about it in Philippians, doesn't he? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptying himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming a man, going to death, even the death of the cross. The humiliation of Christ. And it's all the more amazing when we call to mind again that all things had been put under his feet. If we can put it like that. All things have been given into his hands. But in another place it talks about all things being put under his feet. And the one under whose feet all things had been put now bows at his disciples' feet to wash their feet. The humiliation of Christ. As, as our Lord comes to Peter, Simon Peter, he objects. Now I have absolutely no doubt that Simon Peter objected from the best of motives. He realized this is no task for his Lord and Master to undertake. This was no task for the one to whom he looked up, called him a teacher and Lord and so forth, to be bowing down and doing the work of a menial servant. And so in verse 8 he says, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Now this wasn't rebellion or disobedience or just being difficult. Peter, I believe, was truly shocked here. He was amazed that the one whom he loved and regarded as his Lord should be bound to wash his feet. The Lord replies to him in terms like this, you don't really understand the significance of this, Peter, at this moment. You're not really in possession of all the facts, as it were, all the knowledge that you need. You don't really understand what at present this means, but soon you will. And Peter's conviction 
And it was a, a right conviction on one level. Peter's conviction that this was no job for the master. At a deeper level, again, you need your 3D spectacles here. It, at a deeper level, it was exactly the same as what the devil had been saying to Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry when he was tempted in the wilderness. Because in those temptations, what Satan was saying was to Jesus, you don't really have to go to the cross. You don't have to do it the Father's way. You can get a kingdom. You can get people to follow you. You can get a gathering by doing other things. If you just turn the stones into bread, use your miracle powers, use your magic powers, as it were. Or you can jump off the, uh, the, the dome and, and the angels will come and catch you. People will be spectacularly attracted to you. Or you can bow down before me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. Now the kingdoms of the earth weren't Satan's to give, but nevertheless, this was a temptation. To divert Jesus, to distract him from the Father's will. A little bit like Peter too, you know, when he objected when the Lord started to talk about his death and, and Peter objected and said, not so. And, and, and the Lord had to rebuke him, get behind me, Satan. Behind what was on the surface was this 3D thing again, something happening beneath the surface, beyond uh, visibility, beyond the obvious understanding that people had. And I'm sure that Peter meant well here. And yet our Lord could see the subtle working of the devil again at these vulnerable moments. And remember, Jesus was a man. Do remember that. He didn't float through the days and the weeks of his passion, uh, if you like, untouched by what was going on around him. He was a man and he was God. And he felt these things. He was, he was tortured by these things. Even as it came to the, the climax, as we'll see later on when we go further into John's gospel, even to the point, you know, where he shrank from what God had for him to do. So here was a, if you like, the Lord in his humiliation facing this temptation again of the devil. You know, so often men and women can be like Peter. All of us can you know, with the best of motives, but without spiritual understanding, we think that we can do things our way. And this is the sad thing about so many decent, upright, good living, even religious people today, that they don't see in their self-righteousness, they don't see that what they're doing is they're raising this hand of objection to Jesus. We've got a better way. Peter didn't understand it at this time. Only later did he grasp the significance of what Jesus was doing. So, if the first picture is the humiliation of Christ, the second thing I want you to see here is, is in, in, in our Lord's answer to Peter, I want you to see identification with Christ. Because our Lord speaks to Peter in return and he says to him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, if you don't identify with me in this, then you have no part with me. 
Now, we know that cleansing is absolutely essential if we are going to enjoy fellowship with Christ. And that's what having a part with him means. To have fellowship with Christ, to be in Christ, as Paul used Paul's phrase. Uh, to, be, to be adopted into his fa- uh, family. To become members of the family of God through Christ and in Christ. All of that is, is tied up in this idea of being a part of him. And, and Jesus says, if I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share or no part with me. And Peter's answer, of course, then, is an interesting answer, isn't it? Typical Peter, it seems to me. You know, having, realizing that he was misunderstanding or not fully understanding the situation here, he immediately then comes out with this, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, the Lord Jesus here is dealing really with this whole business of the cleansing from sin, the washing from sin. He's talking about the need for cleansing, and water in Scripture always speaks of that. We had a baptismal service recently, as you know, and many of you were here, perhaps most of you were here, and the symbolism, really, of that. Nothing magical in the water. The water doesn't do anything. But the symbolism of cleansing, of renewal, of dying to the old life and rising to the new life. All of that tied up, if you like, in this picture, this image of the water. And so as Jesus talks to Peter here, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And he says, well then, Lord, wash me all. You know, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. The usual Peter-type enthusiasm. But it was over-enthusiastic. It was Peter's rash answer which lacked understanding again. And our Lord really had to correct him. He didn't need to be washed again. And Jesus turns to him and he says, and this is perhaps the the main thrust of the whole passage. Verse 10. The one who has bathed or bathed does not need to wash again. He doesn't need to be bathed over again. Hands, head and feet as it were. Except for his feet. But is completely clean. And you are clean. Now what we have here then is completion in Christ. The humiliation of Christ. Identification with Christ. And here Jesus is teaching about completion in him. He's saying to Peter, look Peter, you've already been washed. You're already clean. You're clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Not all of them were, of course. And John makes the point that our Lord underlines this, that there was one there who was a, well, he was the betrayer. He was an imposter. He had all the appearance on the outside, but he had never been washed inside. And what Christ is saying here is of absolutely vital importance in the matter of personal salvation. We don't see the distinction, perhaps, Uh, maybe as clearly as we might. I I found in the Amplified Version, uh, 
I think it, it speaks so plainly of this. It says this, anyone who is bathed does not need to, to wash except his feet. He is clean all over. Anyone who is bathed needs not to wash but his feet, but is clean all over. And that marks the distinction here. It is between a bath and the washing of the feet. The bath had occurred in the past. You're clean. Through the word that I've spoken unto you, you're already clean, he says. What you need now is not a new bath. You don't need that salvation cleansing again. You've been cleansed once for all. You've been brought into a right relationship with God. A relationship which hadn't existed before. And you've been come into that relationship through this cleansing. That has been given to you. But the one who has been bathed or cleansed. Needs only to wash his feet. You see there is a bath cleansing. A saving cleansing. Which happens once for all in the soul of a man or a woman. And that's when that man or woman or boy or girl comes to the feet of Jesus repenting. Asking for forgiveness and trusting him for salvation. He is clean. He is cleansed. He is bathed in the life-giving water that Christ gives. But walking with God, the cleansing of that initial bath, if you like, needs, if you like, to, to be followed by the washing of the feet. The initial cleansing, the completeness of that cleansing which comes at conversion, brings with it a responsibility for us to continually not be saved and resaved, but to continually be forgiven our sins and to walk in the newness of life which is ours. Our relationship to God has been transformed once and for all by that initial bath cleansing. But now God's people need, as it were, to walk in the cleanness of forgiveness. So there are two things here which are, are emphasized here. And again, we are looking, as it were, with a 3D spectacles. We're looking beyond the actual washing of the feet to the need for the continual day-by-day cleansing, which is ours in Christ as children of God, to walk in his footsteps. So there's a cleansing here, which is best described in terms of a bath, which every sinner must have if they're going to be right with God. That bath is conversion, and it comes by repentance and faith in the Savior. Those who are bathed, this is the second point. The second truth is this. Those who are bathed need to care for and need to nurture that new spiritual relationship. When we talk about completeness in Christ, it's not that we are made perfect immediately, and we know that as believers. We fall short day by day in our thinking, in our motives, in our words, 
and in our actions, in our relationships with our family and friends, in our relationships with our neighbors, in our relationships within the church. We know that we constantly fall short. But we don't need rebathed. We need our feet to be washed continually. We need to nurture our new spiritual relationship. Our feet, where they take us, must be cleansed and must be cleansed continually. It's the same point I think that John makes in his letter when he writes in 1 John 1 that if we confess our sins, and he's writing to believers, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Now, sometimes we, 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 we gloss over those two words. He is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. On what basis? On what basis does he continue to forgive our daily failings? On the basis of the fact that we've had a bath. That we've been saved, that we've been cleansed. That we are God's children through the cleansing that is ours in Christ. And he's faithful. God is faithful to that conversion experience which we have had. That conversion power which he has poured into our lives. And he is just in the sense that this is, he's not overlooking our sins. He's not sweeping to one side pretending they haven't happened. He is just. He can do that. He can continue to forgive our sins because they have already been paid for and cleansed away in the bath that we have had. He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We who have had the bath, if you like, only need to wash our feet. But we need to do it often. We need to keep short accounts with God. We need to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. We need to continually continually seek the Lord and his grace and his power to put out of our lives those things which hinder us and hold us back in the race. Exactly the same as what Paul was talking about when he says, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forward to those things that are before, press toward the mark. Or the book of Hebrews, you know, let us lay aside every sin and the things which weigh us down. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we have Christ in his humiliation. And then we have identification with Christ. And then we have this completeness in Christ in a sense that we are we are once and for all forgiven and cleansed. But being still in the flesh, we need that continual washing of the feet to walk after Christ. There's one more thing before we finish. And again, you need your 3D spectacles here. See, Christ goes on to say to his disciples then here, he said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, 
have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, there are those preachers and teachers, Bible teachers, who simply, that's the only thing that they take out of this story. There's a little moralistic thing here that you should identify, that you should imitate Christ and do to others what others do to you. Well, of course, that's true, but there's much more here than that. There's much more here than that. Remember what, as we looked through the cleansing, or the washing of the feet, as we looked through with our 3D spectacles, what we were looking for, at, we were looking at the humiliation of Christ, not just at the feet of the disciples, but, if you like, at the hands of sinful men on the cross. Christ bowing to the Father's will and surrendering to the awful death that men brought to him. And when Jesus says to his disciples, so you ought to do. He's not simply saying that we ought to do good to each other. To wash each other's feet, to, be, to have a servant attitude in the sense of serving each other. He's going beyond that. Yes, we're to have the place of a servant. We're to take the servant's place, not merely in menial things but prepared to give sacrificial service for the sake of winning souls to Christ. In other words, just as Christ was prepared to go the whole way to the cross as the suffering servant of the Messiah, so we who have been called into the service of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ are called upon to give our all. To give our all in serving him. Christ is calling here for wholehearted and total commitment to go as far as God requires us to fulfill his will and to please and to glorify him. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if he gave his all for us, and that all meant utter humiliation and service, complete sacrifice in order to serve us, then that is what God calls us to do. That's what our Lord is calling us to. Complete, utter, perhaps even sacrificial service for the glory of his name and for the extension of his kingdom.